Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression. The times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these pandemic times, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the centuries-long pandemic of white supremacy? I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm a United Church of Christ minister, and I'm the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. I live in the place currently called Buffalo, New York, here in the homelands of the Haudenosaunee and Erie peoples. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christian folks about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. We're nearing the end of this Journeys to Freedom series in which the lectionary selections over this stretch of what's called ordinary time, those of these are hardly ordinary times, have followed the origin, origin stories of the people of Israel from Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar all the way through the Exodus to the arrival in the Promised Land. It's a huge narrative arc of journey stretching from Genesis to Joshua. It's been a journey of wrestling, of oppression, of liberation, of mistakes and harm, all with lessons to teach us about freedom. Today's reading is the last one from Exodus on this journey. After this, we get brief glimpses of Deuteronomy and Joshua, and then we're at the end of this journey, or... Maybe we're back at the beginning? Hmm. Anyway, today's reading comes near the end of the book of Exodus, but in the middle of a contentious, angry interchange between Moses, God, and the people. You see, we're still in the aftermath of that whole building a golden calf situation. You remember, Moses goes up the mountain to talk with God about things, and he's up there a really long time. And the people naturally start to freak out. And Aaron takes all the gold they brought from Egypt and melts it and casts it into the shape of a calf. And they all offer ritual at it. God is immensely ticked off and sends Moses back. And when Moses sees what's happened, he smashes the the stone tablets he's been taking notes on and yells at them and makes them drink gold powder water. I don't know either and has like 3,000 of them killed. And then Moses goes back to God and they begin to negotiate pretty tensely 
about what's going to happen next. God wants to destroy everyone, and Moses, as if he hasn't just had 3,000 people killed, is like, listen, you just got us all out of Egypt. Do you want those other nations to think you brought us here just to kill us? So God rethinks that plan and says, well, fine, go on then to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not coming. I mean, God is kind of pouty, really, if we think about it. At any rate, that's where we are when we come to today's reading in chapter 33. God is mad, Moses is mad, and the people are repentant and scared. Here's the reading. Moses said to the Divine One, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Divine One said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses responded, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Divine One said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Divine One said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, the divine said, you can't see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the divine continued, see there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In 2017, when we were last in this cycle of the lectionary, I did the podcast episode for the Golden Calf reading. And in it, I actually questioned Aaron, Moses, and God's leadership skills. Because Moses goes up the mountain for over 40 days. God's up there thundering about commandments, but also like curtain measurements. I'm not joking. And the people are left alone in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, wondering how they'll feed their babies and without the two sources of presence that have guided them out of Egypt. They realize that Moses is, as the Hebrew says, shamefully late, shamefully late, and assume he's gone. Naturally, they panic and turn to Aaron, 
who, instead of offering comfort and reminding them of their freedom songs, builds that golden calf instead. That episode is called Freedom and the Golden Calf, and it's worth a listen. It's one of my favorites, actually. I'll share it on social media and put the link in the transcript. Basically, what I'm saying is everyone, including God, is a mess in this story. And I actually think the story knows this because one of the things that happens in this golden calf aftermath is that Moses sets up a tent on the outskirts of camp where he can meet with God. No more going up the mountain and disappearing. There's a whole ritual the people engage in when Moses goes to the tent and God joins him there, the divine presence in form of a cloud, a form that the people knew well because that cloud column has been accompanying them on this whole journey, the visible, tangible sign of God's presence with them, alongside them. It's as if the story knows that perhaps Moses and God disappearing for six weeks was actually not a good idea. Not because the people are untrustworthy or unworthy, but because freedom is hard. And being in the middle of nowhere, wondering how you'll feed your babies on your way to some supposed promised land that has yet to become real is immensely stressful under the best of circumstances. The golden calf story is always presented as if it's the people who have failed God, the people who have broken covenant. But the text telling us Moses was shamefully late and this appearance of the meeting tent where God and Moses are in fact having the conversation we just read about in today's text. These are clues to me that maybe it wasn't just the people's fault. A covenant goes both ways. A covenant is about mutual responsibility, mutual relationship. If what's happening here is, you're going to do what I tell you, period, then that's just dictatorship, hierarchy, fascism. But that is not what happens on this journey. God makes promises to the people all along this journey to be present in their midst, to assure their liberation and survival, to provide them with food and water, to be with them and not let them go. Every time the people ask, is God with us or not? God's answer is a resounding yes. Manna, water, quail, protection. In fact, this whole journey of freedom from the ancestors Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar to this moment at Sinai with Pharaoh's army drowned behind them has been a series of promises God makes with the people. A covenant. God has responsibilities too. And maybe what we learn in the golden calf story is that maybe like the people and Moses and Aaron, God forgot what God's responsibilities were too. Maybe in this desert wandering stress, Everybody failed everybody. God, Moses, Aaron, the people. Like they all forgot who they are. Like they all forgot their names. Like they all forgot their mutual responsibility to one another. It's a mess. There's a lot of lashing out, anger, hurt feelings, grief, fear, shame. Everything 
has fallen apart. do when everything falls apart, when stress and fear and uncertainty are running high, what happens then? Do we pull farther apart, isolating ourselves away, or do we do something else? I think that's what this text is about, this odd little story about names and Moses getting to see God's backside. It's about what we do next after everything seems like it's fallen apart. What we do that keeps us moving towards freedom land, rather than turning back to the violent, hard-hearted, isolating ways of Egypt. That's why I've spent so much time here getting us clear on what's happening prior to this text, so we understand what has gotten us to this point, so we understand what the stakes are. This moment at the foot of Sinai, everything seemingly undone, God pouting, the people afraid and ashamed, Moses murderous, Aaron making excuses and shifting blame, this moment is a turning point. Everyone has to choose what will happen next. Freedom land or Egypt? What do we do when it all falls apart? Well, I think this story teaches a couple of things. First, from what happens right before today's text, Moses addresses the root issue of the people's anxiety. He sets up that tent on the edge of camp where he meets with God. No more disappearing up the mountain for weeks at a time. God's presence with them is visible again, and Moses stays living among the community. Second, in today's text, well, let's hear it again. Moses said to the Divine One, See, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know who who you're going to send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I've found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Divine One said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses responded, If your presence will not go, don't carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Divine One said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Divine One said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, I am, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But 
the divine said. You can't see my face because no one can see me and live. And the divine continued, see, there's a place by me where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is a story about intimacy and vulnerability. Moses reminds God that they know each other by name. Moses says to God, you have known me by name and we remember, we're meant to remember, all the way back to the burning bush where God calls Moses by name. And when Moses asks God God's name and God tells him, they have known each other by name. In biblical Hebrew, to know and to name and to know by name all carry meanings of deep intimacy. The kind of intimacy of the deepest of friends, of lovers, the kind of knowing beyond the mere letters of a name to the essence of who we are. Such a tender vulnerability. That is how Moses and God have known each other. And now Moses widens the reach of that intimacy, claiming that knowing not only for himself, but also for the people. And not only that, he leans even deeper into intimacy and asks for more. Let me see you, he says to God. And God agrees. God agrees to show God's self within limits, of course, because it's still okay to have boundaries. But God agrees to show God's self and proclaim their name, as if to say they have remembered their name again, I am. And we remember that burning bush scene again, because we're meant to, of course, where God names God's self, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. I will be there how I will be there. And as my partner preached a few weeks ago, as we journey through Exodus, I am pillar of cloud by day. I am column of fire by night. I am dry land for you to, to cross the sea. I am waves of red sea to drown your persecutors. I am manna. I am quail. I am water. I am. And in this story, I am showing favor. I am showing mercy. And in just a few more verses, I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This move towards intimacy and vulnerability expands who Moses and the people and God know themselves to be. Leaning into deeper knowing helps them come back into relationship with each other, helps them know each other better, helps them choose the path continuing on towards freedom rather than returning to the ways of Egypt. We know this because after this text, Moses and God go in the tent and God recuts the covenant with the people and they're in there 40 days and 40 nights again. And this time the people don't panic. Moses 
glowing from his closeness to God, returns with instructions for the tabernacle. Yes, those curtains, for the gorgeous movable tent where God will dwell among them as they journey on. And the people give generously, beyond generously, to its construction. Because in order to get to freedom, they all need each other. They all need to know each other by name. White supremacy culture teaches us to be individualistic, to rely solely on ourselves. Intimacy and vulnerability, the kind spoken about in this story that help us to rely on one another, these are not at all valued by white supremacy and racial capitalism. In this moment when it feels like things are falling apart, because they really are in lots of ways, it can be tempting to isolate to pull back from community, to draw the blinds and refuse to go on. This story reminds us that freedom is in the direction of more intimacy, more vulnerability. Freedom is in the direction of knowing knowing each other by name. We talk a lot about policing on this podcast, and the last few weeks we've been promoting the Community Safety for All toolkit Surge Faith has just launched, which is to support congregations to stop relying on police and build alternatives instead. This kind of knowing by name is what abolishing police is about. White supremacy doesn't want us to know our neighbors. It wants us to police them, be suspicious of them, surveil them, control them, be afraid of them. It wants us to choose drawing back in isolation while outsourcing our needs to violent systems. It wants us to choose the violent intimacy of the cop's knee on a black person's neck rather than the compassionate, liberative intimacy of knowing one another so deeply we look out for one another, believe in one another, hold accountable one another in ways that don't rely on harm to others. I'm talking about the kind of intimacy that builds neighborhood mutual aid networks, mental health first aid teams, congregational harm reduction trainings and Narcan stocks, talking to houseless folks, finding shelter on our steps rather than calling the cops on them. We've been building these intimacy muscles during COVID, I think, building bubbles and pods and check-in networks, wearing our masks, making sure people have food and care. Let's keep going broader and deeper. So that's your call to action this week. Where can you lean deeper into collective intimacy that can keep us moving in the direction of freedom? Whose names do you need to learn? Who needs to learn your name? Check out our toolkit You can find it on our website and social media and work on this collectively with your congregation. Connect with your neighbors, your friends, to strengthen your bonds. And on the subject of intimacy, 
Two more suggestions for you. One, read Black mystic Howard Thurman's speech, The Sound of the Genuine. And listen, maybe again, to Nicola Torbett's episode from this May, The New Wine of Intimacy. Links to all of these are in the transcript and will be on social media. Thanks, as always, for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. We'd love to hear from you all by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages. And we'd love to hear from you about how we're doing, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks who may be checking us out. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Nicola Torbett. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which include references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks as always, 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 to our sound editor, Max Pearl. Blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Anne Dunlap.